Today's episode of The Labor of Love is brought to you by Audible.com, who has more than 180,000 audiobooks and spoken word audio products. Get a free 30-day trial at www.audible.com love. Today's episode is also brought to you by Squarespace. Start building your website today at squarespace.com. Enter offer code REALSIMPLE at checkout to get 10% off. Squarespace. Build it beautiful. Welcome to The Labor of Love, a podcast about marriage, family, and making peace with the people we live with. I'm Lori Leibovich, editor of realsimple.com. Entering a serious relationship comes with its fair share of gray areas and blurry lines and questions about how much you really need to share with your partner. Is keeping certain secrets from your partner the cause of long-term damage, or is having a certain amount of privacy in a marriage a good thing? In a recent issue of Real Simple, we tackled this topic in a piece called Five Things to Never Keep from Your Partner. Today, I'll be talking to two of the experts we interviewed. First, we have Manisha Takor, the Director of Wealth Strategies for Women at Buckingham Asset Management and the author of Get Financially Naked, and Sally Palian, a licensed psychologist based in Detroit. Hi, Manisha. Hi, Lori. Hi, Sally. Hi, Lori. It's great to have both of you here today. So you. you both answered the question, what are the things that you should never, ever keep from your partner? Sally, you said you should never keep major problems from your partner, whether they're issues with your job, your family, your health. Why are these types of secrets or why is this information so important to share? Well, when we have a major problem and we're turning away from our partner instead of toward our partner, we're creating a whole other problem. And that that's going to come back to bite us some point down the road. So I feel as though people should, you know, when there's ma- major life problems and we're leaving them out of them, we're not really, you know, in an, we're not really doing our intimate thing that we need to do. We're not turning to our, par- our major support person for support. We're l- losing an opportunity there for ourselves. Even, at tr- even if it becomes conflictual down the road, it's still better at the time when you have a major problem to turn towards your partner. And when, in your practice, Sally, have you seen examples of people who have kept these kinds of huge secrets from their spouses, and and what were their reasons for doing so? Usually the reason that people keep things from their spouse is because they claim they're afraid they're going to hurt them. They don't want to upset them. They don't want to worry them. They don't want to make them, you know, responsible for their own problems. And there's all kinds of psychological reasons for that. A lot of times it's about shame of having the problem in the first place, shame or guilt if they created it themselves. So that's one of the main reasons. And oftentimes I've seen people keep the fact that they've been unemployed from their job, from, from a job. They'll still get dressed up and drive off to a coffee shop or a library for the day. I've seen people not tell their spouse about major health problems that they may be having, not wanting to worry them or upset them. And in the long run, these kinds of things people find out eventually and they end up being worse after they find out. Sally, sometimes though people believe that entering a relationship shouldn't mean completely losing your independence, your sense of self, your privacy. What would you say are some of the things that are okay to keep from your partner? Well, one thing I would say is okay is like if you've had an adventurous sexual past and that would be threatening to your spouse or your current you know, partner, that sometimes can be very, very upsetting to find out. People are constantly living in a comparison kind of world then. If they hear these things or they feel like they could never live up to 
what someone did or was in a previous relationship. So that would be like, you know, that's sort of use, you need to use some discernment and judgment about whether or not that will cause long-term repercussions for the relationship. Many people never get over that kind of information. Manisha, you talk and advise couples that they should get what you call financially naked with each other. Can you explain exactly what you mean by that term and why being open about finances is so critical? Sure. Let, let me start with the, the second part of that question, Lori, why being open with your finances is, is essential. Study after study shows us that one of the top reasons relationships fall apart is over money. And money is one of these topics that despite the you know this kind of reality tv world we live in is one of the few things that we really don't truly openly and honestly share with each other and i think it's because we feel embarrassed it's money is often not just about the money it speaks to so many other hopes and dreams and values and fears and so to echo sally's point if, if something so important is not being shared with your significant other it can really create some pretty serious cracks in your relationship foundation. And the term getting financially naked started off as my attempt to try and give people a baseline of what information is it that you should share. Like when you go to the doctor and they do annual blood work up on you, what is it? what are the basic things they're looking for? And in a financial context, I would argue at a minimum, you want to talk about your what you own and what you owe. And the difference between the two is your net worth, mm -hmm. what you earn and what you spend. And the difference between the two is your savings and your credit scores. So essentially, you're giving each other kind of a snapshot of where you are right now, a sense of whether you're in positive or negative flows in terms of income and out expenses and credit score, which is a sense of your financial history. And those, to me, are the financial equivalent of the, the blood workup. And when exactly, at what point in a relationship do you think it's important for people to come forward with this information? It's not exactly the sexiest topic. No, it's not. And, you know, it's, that's the most common question I get. And I don't have a good answer for it because it, it is so dependent on the relationship and also on on the role that money plays in your life. So for instance, I'm recently divorced. I haven't gone out on a date in 12 years. So I'm thinking about this as I start heading out as a femme soul at age 45. And to me, this topic is really important. I just couldn't be with somebody who is in a lot of debt or, or struggling and not willing to look at their finances and, and step forward on it. So I will probably bring it up sooner rather than later. There are other people for whom this is not such a big issue. And, but I would say at a minimum, before you move in or get married, you need to have the conversation. What are the ways, I mean, there, there are certain topics, money we're touching on now. We also know that sex is a topic that's even difficult for people who've been in long-term relationships to talk about. Are there any strategies that either of you can suggest for actually having those conversations? Because they're not easy and they are usually, you can tell yourself over and over, I'm going to talk to my partner about X, Y, and then there's always something that, that you know, happens so that you put it off and you put it off until maybe there's a crisis. I would say that one of the guiding mantras that I, I share with people 
is this notion that truth is the best disinfectant. <laughs> and it really does wipe away a lot of pain and agony when you just dive into it. And so what I suggest people say, it's not honestly about the money. It's about all the issues around the money. And it's about keeping your relationship moving forward. And so I tell people to just say, I don't want our relationship to be torpedoed by finances. And this is going to be a horribly awkward topic. So maybe we need to do it over adult beverages or over ice cream. <laughs> but I care about us. Um, and so I, I want to share some things with you. And I find that when you, one person shares first and just puts it out there that it's awkward and, and uncomfortable, oftentimes that softens the ground so that the other person is then able to, to step forward as well. I think setting any expectation that there's a right way to do it or that it's ever going to be easy or that it's not going to be awkward is going to make you have a deer in the headlights feeling. So I just want to disabuse all listeners of that. It's always awkward. It's like your first kiss and you don't know which direction your nose is supposed to go. In. <laughs> You're doing it because you want to invest in your relationship. And this is a, 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 a step that's going to help you move in the right direction or at least highlight that this is not the person that you should be with in the long term. So either way, it's going to be a win. You're listening to The Labor of Love. When we come back, we're going to talk about whether or not it's a good idea for couples to have separate bank accounts. Today's episode of The Labor of Love was brought to you by Squarespace. I spend a lot of my day online probably way too much, both with my job and all of the social media sites I go to when I probably shouldn't. And I'll tell you that if I get to a website that looks ugly or isn't easy to navigate, I immediately shut it down. Who has time? And that's why I love Squarespace, because the websites that they design are easy to use, they're beautiful, they're gorgeous, they have simple lines, and it's a pleasure to be on them. If you're going to spend time online, spend it on a Squarespace site. And if you want to build your own site and you don't think you have any skills, don't worry. They're easy to use. Even I can use them, and I don't know how to code or anything, but I do know what looks good. Start your free trial today at squarespace.com. When you decide to sign up for Squarespace, make sure to use the offer code REALSIMPLE to get 10% off your first purchase. Squarespace, build it beautiful. Manisha, I am in a long-term relationship. My husband and I have very different money habits, and we've sort of done a little bit of getting financially naked over the years, but we also have certain things that we both just, you know, our hobbies are, you know, things that we like to shop for, things that are important to us. And we don't always tell each other, at least not at first, about those purchases. I realize that it's important for couples to have big conversations if they have a lot of debt and things like that. But what about the smaller purchases, the things that, you know, I just really like, you know, clothes. He's not so into clothes, but he's really into bikes. Do we need to be talking about those kinds of things? It depends. I would argue it depends on how you're paying for them. And this is why I personally am a big advocate of a concept I call the financial three-way. Um, yours, <laughs> mine, and ours. And the way it works is you as a couple decide what things are joint expenses and what things will be separate expenses. Some couples may say nothing is separate. Everything is joint, and so their financial three-way is, is just one bucket. But other couples will have a yours, mine, and ours. And 
the idea is to clearly define what goes in each of your solo buckets. And I feel like that's, those are funds that you both agree you get to spend no questions asked for joint funds. I suggest that you set a dollar amount above which you both agree to discuss with each other. So this could be in the context of a couple that says we never have any separate money. It's all joint. The simplest way to avoid disagreements there is to set a dollar amount that you talk to each other about before you spend or to say this is a dollar amount we each can spend per week or per month, no questions asked, so that everybody gets a little flexibility there. And then the the mine and yours, those are the buckets where no disclosure is required because you've already predefined what things are falling into that joint bucket. When it comes to having separate bank accounts, though, so would it make sense in that regard for people to have one joint account or one joint credit card and then maybe separate checking accounts and separate credit cards for the, the purchases that they don't need to okay with their partner? So that is the way I personally handled it when I was married. We had a joint account and then we each had our separate accounts. And I found that worked very well. I will say that sometimes people have a very strong religious or kind of moral issue with having things separate that that in itself is not appropriate in a marriage. And I want to make sure to honor that. And there's certainly a way to to, to do this by setting the dollar amounts Um, if you've got joint accounts only. But I have found that there's something about having a little bit of freedom for each party that enables you to actually be closer. So while some people might say having joint and separate accounts is anti-relationship or anti-marriage, I actually think it can help bring couples closer together. Sally, I wanted to see if you had anything to add there about the, the usefulness of separate finances in some regards. Yes, I think it's absolutely necessary for people to have the freedom. I think I think what she's what Manish is saying is very very important for people to have the freedom to make their own choices, to be able to have their own value system, especially today now that when there are two income incomes in a family, so we have two different people feel entitled to their own money right. when they're earning it, but they feel entitled to make their own value decision, their own decisions about their based on their own values. If you if your husband likes bikes and you like clothes. You each have your own value system, your own lifestyles that you want to be able to contribute your own money toward for yourself. It helps you to feel empowered while being connected. Sally, we talk about being, we talk about things like sex and money as, as the things that are really important to be open with our partners about. I wonder, though, about sort of the general relationship satisfaction that you hear. I have heard over and over from, from couples that haven't um, stayed together this kind of refrain of, you know, I just wasn't feeling it and or it just wasn't going anywhere, some sort of weariness. And I wonder if one of the things that we should try to be more open with each other about is just those having general regular check-ins about how we're feeling about the state of the union. I think it's a great idea to have a regular family check-in, family meeting regarding, you know, your coupleship. Have date nights and have some conversations regarding that. I have a friend who says that she'll never be in another unsupervised relationship again, (laughs) meaning she'll never have a relationship that she's not in some kind of therapy or counseling or coaching or turning to their pastor or a religious person in some kind of way so that there's some outside feedback for both of them because we live in a culture that there's support on every corner for people to break up. 
There is not support on every corner to teach people about working through the hard issues, and there are so many hard issues. So, yeah, there's, I, th- I would really recommend for people to have some kind of regular check-in, whether that be yourselves or with other people that you um, admire and respect, even if it's a paid and professional. And how do you, if you're attempting to have those State of the Union conversations on your own, what can you talk to our listeners a little bit about what that might, how you might broach that topic? Well, I would recommend, I always recommend for people to go outside the house somewhere, to the library, to the coffee shop, somewhere where you're not going to escalate into a fight so that you know there's some kind of outer parameters that are going to hold you safe to not escalate. I would recommend for people to set a timer for each person to talk about their particular issues or concerns that they have with a relationship and how things are going. Set a timer, one person can talk at a time. I also recommend oftentimes for people to, you know, if they can't do the conversation in person, to, to write it down and then have, you know, talk off their notes. You're listening to The Labor of Love. When we come back, we're going to talk about how important it is for your partner to know what you're doing online. I'm a huge fan of Audible.com, and I'll tell you why. I have children, and sometimes these children need to be put into a car, and we need to drive with them someplace. And if that place is longer than 10 minutes away, the kids want to be entertained. There's no better way to start a family adventure than by starting a book on Audible.com. We just finished the series of unfortunate events, which took us many, many, many car trips to finish, and we loved them. And we're now looking for our next series, which won't be hard to find because Audible.com has 180,000 audiobooks and spoken word audio products. You'll absolutely find something for everyone. Get a free 30-day trial today by signing up at www.audible.com love. We're back with the labor of love. One of the things we talked about in this article in Real Simple about the five things you should not keep from your partner was your habits online, what you look at during the day, who you're talking to online, who you're friends with on Facebook. I wanted to get both of your opinion on that and see if you, too, agreed that that was something that couples really need to share. This is Sally, and I would recommend absolutely it's something people need to share. We're, we're living in an era where there's major blocks to intimacy. We have people, the, the technology has created major blocks to intimacy, in-person intimacy, just connecting, talking, being with each other physically. We have people sitting at the kitchen table together, each with their own devices. We have a whole culture of people that are lacking in intimacy skills and communication skills because of devices. It's all an extension of online behavior. So I think that type of conversation can actually help a person to understand the private world of their of their and spouse. How let's get a little specific here. Is it is it that we should disclose to our partners these are the people that I speak to most days online, either through chat or email. These are the sites that I go to. These are the people who I've sought out as friends on Facebook. I think that if people were honest about that stuff, it would be f- pretty revealing and and maybe maybe be a little bit alarming to the partner. Absolutely, it can be revealing and alarming. And ultimately, if people are trying to conceal something, they're not going to tell you even when you're having your State of the Union conversations either. So there's, that's where we get into trouble where people do secretive things online and do develop friendships 
and it's very easy to create a whole persona online separate. Again, it's the turning away from your partner rather than turning towards them. Manisha, I'm curious to know, since people can also spend a lot without their partners knowing, um, in the same way that they can have online relationships without their partners knowing, I'm curious to hear your thoughts on this. Do you think that disclosure of online activity is an important thing to share with your partner? Yes. From a financial standpoint, it's absolutely vital that you share what's going on with your online spending habits. Because once you have joint accounts, what one of you does affects the other. And by that, I mean, let's say you have a a joint account and one of you is spending money um, that the other isn't aware of and you overdraw your account on a debit card. Or one of you is responsible for paying the credit card bills Um, and making sure you maintain a budget, but the other one is spending at three times the expected rate. And a a simple way you can do that is to use online banking for your joint account so that everything's transparent. All transactions are there for everyone to see. There's nothing that's being hidden. Um, That in conjunction with what we talked about earlier in terms of setting some, some financial buffers of agreements on what kind of things are okay to spend on joint expenses and so forth can really help eliminate problems there because there's total transparency. Where problem areas can pop up is spending that you're doing on your own that's very secretive. And to Sally's point, um, particularly around developing friendships or relationships or giving gifts and doing other things without your spouse's knowledge. The one thing I'll just say about that is we live in an incredibly transparent world and it's amazing how quickly that information can come around and how painful it can be for the other spouse when it does. And so um, keeping secrets was never a good idea, but in the digital age, it's really (laughs) not a good idea. Sally, thanks so much for being here today. Thanks, Lori. Thank you, Manisha. Lori, always a pleasure talking to you. Thanks so much for joining me today on The Labor of Love. If you have a domestic quandary and would like to be a guest on our show, or if there's a topic you'd like us to cover in a future episode, please email us at tlolpodcast at gmail.com. Today's episode was based on the article, Five Things to Never Keep from Your Partner, which appears on realsimple.com. For your information, those things are your wildest dreams, your financial situation, your online activities, major problems, and what turns you on. I'd like to thank our producer, Kristen Meisner, and our engineer, Tim Einenkel. If you enjoyed the episode, please review and subscribe on iTunes, where you'll also find three more podcasts from Real Simple. You can subscribe to The Labor of Love at itunes.com panoply or at panoply.fm. I'm Lori Leibovich, and I'll see you next time on The Labor of Love. 